Welcome to Practical Wisdom, a weekly podcast about ancient Greco-Roman philosophy. I'm your host, Massimo Piliucci. Today's reading is from Aristotle, Nicomachean Ethics 1, 1, 2. Quote, Every art and every inquiry, and similarly every action as well as choice, is held to aim at some good. Now, since there are many actions, arts, and sciences, the ends too are many. Of medicine, the end is health. Of shipbuilding, a ship. Of generalship, victory. Of household management, wealth. If, therefore, there is some end of our actions that we wish for on account of itself, the rest being things we wish for on account of this end, and if we do not choose all things on account of something else, for in this way the process will go on infinitely, such that the longing involved is empty and pointless, Clearly, this would be the good, that is, the best. And with a view to our life, then, is not the knowledge of this good of great weight? And would we not, like archers in possession of a target, better hit on what is needed? If this is so, then one must try to grasp, in outline at least, whatever it is and to which of the sciences or capacities it belongs. Unquote. Right at the beginning of the famous Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle explains to his readers what he set out to do. He is going to provide an account of happiness, though notice that the word isn't mentioned in the passage I just read. Aristotle begins by observing that we engage in a number of activities, each of which has a specific purpose. We concern ourselves with medicine, for instance, because we want to be healthy, or with household management because we want to be wealthy, and so on. However, he argues, there must be something for which all these other things are done. Otherwise, one could engage in an infinite regress, always asking, but what are you doing that for? For instance, granted that we wish to manage our household well because we want to be wealthy, someone could still reasonably ask why we want to be wealthy. We may answer that wealth brings a number of desirable things, like a nice house, a car, a smartphone, and so forth. Still, our interlocutor could insist in her queries and ask us why we want houses, cars, and smartphones. You get the gist. Where exactly does this sequence of likely increasingly irritating questions end? The ultimate answer will probably be, because I want to be happy. Our questioner at that point will stop in her tracks. She can't ask further, why do you want to be happy? Because happiness is an ultimate not an instrumental good. Instrumental goods are those we seek for the sake of something else, like good household management for the sake of wealth. Ultimate goods are those for which there is no further explanation. We want them because they are intrinsically valuable. Happiness, which is the somewhat approximate and sloppy translation of the Greek word eudaimonia, is an ultimate goal. It doesn't make any sense to ask why someone would want to be eudaimon, and such a question would be met with uncomprehending stares, or with a response along the lines of, Are you crazy? That is why Aristotle claims that the issue of eudaimonia is fundamental, and we better investigate it thoroughly, which is precisely what he's going to do in the rest of the Nicomachean Ethics. In a sense, Aristotle here is providing us with a rationale for engaging in the whole project of practical philosophy. We have one life to live, 
and it would be a shame to arrive at the end, look back, and realize that we have, in a sense, mislived, that is, pursued the wrong things and not paid attention to the really valuable ones. Hence the need to philosophize about happiness, not in the sense of just sitting on an armchair and think or talk, but in the sense of trying to figure out what is truly good in life and then act on it, so that when we get to our deathbed, we may be in a position to say to ourselves, that was worth doing. As I said, the word that Aristotle and all other Greco-Roman schools used for what is of concern to us here is eudaimonia. That word used to be translated simply as happiness, until both philosophers and psychologists figured out that happiness is a bit of a vague concept, and that, moreover, people may confuse a feeling experienced in the moment with a long-term satisfaction about one's life. Eating a gelato right now and pursuing an academic career as a philosopher both make me happy, but obviously the two meanings are very different. Sometimes eudaimonia gets translated as flourishing. That's better, but as we shall see in the course of our reflections here at the Practical Wisdom podcast, the term flourishing inherently favors the specific Aristotelian view of eudaimonia. As it turns out, other schools had their own view, and indeed, how a philosophical school interprets the meaning of eudaimonia is one of the major features distinguishing that school. For instance, Aristotle thought that eudaimonia requires virtue, but also some external goods like health, education, wealth, and even good looks. By contrast, the Stoics thought that virtue is by itself both necessary and sufficient for eudaimonia. Should you manage to also acquire some external goods, that's fine, since they have their own value, but they will not make you more eudaimon. The difference is important, because Aristotelian eudaimonia leaves a good number of people out. Some of us may be virtuous, but not healthy, or wealthy, or good-looking. Too bad, says Aristotle. For the Stoics, by contrast, everyone can be eudaimon, because acting virtuously is within everyone's purview. Nothing is necessary other than the will to do it. In a sense, the Stoic view of eudaimonia is democratic, while the Aristotelian view is aristocratic. Gradually, we shall explore many more takes on eudaimonia, because, as Aristotle rightly says, we must try to grasp in outline at least whatever it is and to which of the sciences or capacities it belongs. Thank you for listening to Practical Wisdom. We will return next week, fate permitting.